You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Let's continue into our time of the word. It's going to be very short today, as you might imagine. We've had several things going on, and we still got a, a dunk one man sitting over there. And so we're going to be continuing uh, for the next few minutes uh, our series called This Is Our Community, where we're focused on the vision uh, of our church for both the community as a church, our church community, and the vision that we have for the community around us, meaning uh, Southeast Austin, the city of Austin. Uh, the reality is the church was never called to be separated from any of those things. And so discussing your vision for the community you have as a church is in turn discussing the vision you have for the community around you. Uh, God did not save people and call people in order to seclude themselves away from the rest of the world, but rather to bring people together to build a new way of life that's beautiful and then to let that be an example and an invitation to the world around us as we take part in the world around us to become a part of this new beautiful way of living. And so to have a vision for our church community is in fact to have a vision for the community around us because they should interact with each other on a daily and momentary basis. Last week, we uh, heard from Sean uh, about the idea of being a neighbor, right? What that looks like, drawing close to people, and how uh, being a neighbor can be anyone that you draw close and care for. Uh, Now, today, we're going to focus on the nature and function, really, of the church community. And again, we're going to keep it pretty tight, so uh, if you're writing things down, I would encourage you to keep your pen handy, uh, because we're going to move pretty quick, if I'm being honest. Uh, But the reason this is important is because oftentimes it's easy to forget what your local church is meant for. It's easy to forget what your local church, the church that you're a part of, what it's meant for. We can easily see it as a group we hang out with on Sundays. If you're extra holy, like you're a super Christian, then you get involved on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday. And that's like, oh, my gosh, that dude is like way Christian. Right. Like and that's how we start to perceive it. Right. Like that. That's our that's the extent that the church has in terms of its influence on our lives. But if that's where we leave it, we begin to lose out. Okay, we miss out fundamentally on how God desires to work in our lives through this group of people. A group of people that we would say, this is the church. This is a local church. Maybe even you would say, this is my church. How God sees your interaction with that group of people and says, it's that interaction and that relationship that I'm going to work through in order to do and accomplish things in your life. That powerful idea can be lost if we sit there and go, yeah, I go to church. I, I even go to Bible studies like two weeks, like two days a week or something. I mean, not two days, maybe two days a week. That's, you know, that's you. Um, but meaning like two times a month on a Wednesday or a Thursday right now, I even do all that. Right? We miss out if that's the extent that we see church instead of seeing it as these powerful relationships that we're meant to give ourselves to that God is going to work in. So today we want to look at really how that works. What are some of the characteristics of that, uh, of that body, of that community? What does God's word say about what he expects his community to look like, the family of God? And then we're going to take a brief look at some of how that, like the implications that has on our lives. And to do this, uh, as, uh, who was it that read? It was Cassie that read. As Cassie read, we're going to work through Romans 12, 4 through 5. And from there, we're going to pull out just two or three things to work from and to to really pose to us to think through for the rest of the day. Romans 12, let's read it it again uh, to, to kind of just get our minds working Four through five says, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ 
and individual, individually members of one another. Now, as we start this text, right, we're, we're starting in the middle of a pretty big and important book, the book of Romans. It's Paul's letter to the Roman church. It's uh, probably one of the most theologically, that's really just like kind of ideas and teachings about God. It's one of the most theologically rich and dense uh, books of the Bible, especially of the New Testament. And so as we, we reach chapter 12 today, Paul is concluding uh, really Romans 1 through 11, which is like a bunch of super heady, super uh, theological stuff that he's working through. And now starting at chapter 12, he's moving to a place, as he often does, to try to help us consider, to invite us to consider. You've gone through all these theological ideas. You've, you've read about these stuff. Maybe when you were little, you even catechized, and so you can list off some stuff like crazy when someone gives you some questions about God and about church. And maybe everything I've said so far, you're like, yeah, yeah I agree with that. But, but how is this going to impact your daily life? How is this going to impact the way you live and the way you interact with other people? That's what he's starting to shift to here in chapter 12. And one of the major points he arrives at in, in what the ideas he's given us should do is they should impact how we spend our time with other people in community, right? And that's really the first thing he gets to right here in chapter 12. He, he starts and introduces us and invites us to consider the fact that we should not see ourselves as higher or, or greater than anyone else. That's actually in uh, verse 3 right before 4 and 5. Uh, but, but really, we come together as a community, almost like a body comes together made of several different parts, but working together in in order to understand and to interact and to receive from God. It's a powerful idea, and it it really should reorient how you see the people around you, but also how you see the way you live your life. And that's what he's really trying to get at, right? Now, with that, he gives us a few different characteristics that I want to list off for you from the text about what this community should look like about what this idea of church and these relationships should do and, and kind of what they should look like and what they should accomplish in our lives. The, the first one is he pulls out an idea that I think is important. It's that we're connected. We're connected. At the end of, uh, in the middle section right there of chapter 12, verse 4, he says that we are one body in Christ, right? One body in Christ. What's that mean, right? Well, again, it's easy to think of the Christian faith as a personal faith. Uh, But to my knowledge, that idea of a personal relationship with God that we just have on our own, that's not in the Bible. Like, to my knowledge, it's not anywhere in the Bible. The idea that we would have a relationship with God and just be on our own and and kind of figure it out. We talk to him and he talks to me and then I'm good. That's not the picture painted in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially at any point. In fact, people oftentimes reference Ephesians uh, chapter 2 as this very powerful text that shows uh, how we come to faith on a personal level. But in that text, it is actually literally just a prelude so that he can go into how our faith connects us to other people. It's a powerful idea because it's telling us your faith and your relationship with God is intimately connected to your relationship with God's people, with other people that have known God and that have experienced his love and that share in in knowing him as your heavenly father. Right? That's the idea. The idea that together we're a family and we make up God's people. In fact, we come together and we make up God's body. What does that mean? Well, it's a a kind of a word picture that Paul used often, but, but he literally is trying to tell us that when you come into relationship with God and you come to follow Jesus, God begins to work in your life. And he begins to show who he is through you, but not all of himself because you're just one person. 
But when we come together, we begin to build a picture of God, a picture of Jesus that's so so beautiful that, that really the world, when they're trying to look for Jesus, they should look at people together as God's family. Because then they'll see the kindness of Anisha, and they'll see the gentleness of Sean, and they'll see the selfless character uh, of Jerry. Right, I just picked a row there. I'm sorry, Eileen. And the, okay, now Eileen looked at me like, no, I didn't do it, bro. All right, so I'm going to leave that one off. Right? But that's what they begin to see. They begin to see this beautiful picture of God through you, through the collective of us, not just you. And so we're connected. Um, it kind of reminds me of, of these, this time that I spent with my daughter. When I put my daughter down, Leah, she was the one standing next to us. She kept going like this. <laughs> Every time they would say something, she'd be like, um, my daughter Leah, when I put her down uh, tonight, at, uh, at night, put her to sleep, we make sure to talk about the gospel. I ask her questions like, who's Jesus? And she'll give me responses like, he's our king, he's our God, he's our savior, one of the three. She oftentimes doesn't give me some like theological discourse. She's just like, he's God, you know, that kind of three-year-old response. And uh, from there, we talk about what he did on the cross, and we'll talk about how the world is not a perfect place. It's a dark place. It can sometimes be an extraordinarily hurtful place. And, and I let her know you haven't experienced those things yet, but you will. You will experience those hardships. They will be unavoidable in this life. The world can be a hard place. And our sins, us, we contribute to that darkness at times when you hit your brother for what seems like no apparent reason. And when he bites you for what also seems like no apparent reason. Right? Those interactions contribute to the darkness that we experience. But on the cross, Jesus starts a new way of life by forgiving our sins as he dies in our place. And, and that love and that forgiveness begins to change our hearts from the inside out and allows us to start imperfectly, but nonetheless start following his new way. And when we follow him, he becomes our king, right? He becomes our savior and we become children of God. And sometimes I start crying and then she starts crying. She don't know what I'm crying about, uh, but she knows that whatever I'm talking about must mean a lot to me, and so maybe it should mean a lot to her, and so she kind of just cries in response. But one night, a few days ago, she looked up at me, and then she looked up at the sky, at the ceiling, and she said, Jesus has lots of brothers and sisters. Uh, and I was like, okay, you're hitting, let's go. I'm liking where this is going, yeah. And then she was like, because me and you and our church friends we're all God's children. And I looked at her and I was like, man, uh, yes, it, it, it really moved me because it gave me a lot of gratitude for what we do on the other side of that little movable wall. Because when I talked to her, I talked to her primarily about me and her. I don't include this idea of other people. I haven't yet. But a few weeks prior, she had heard that idea right in that room back there. And in combination with what we were talking about in bed, she connected the dots and said, no, me and you, yes, we have this relationship with Jesus, and he's our king, but man, the other people at church and my friends, the people that are together with us, and he's their king, and we're all brothers and sisters because we've all become God's children. Now, she didn't say it like that, but that's what she was getting at. Those are the dots she was connecting. That's a powerful idea. That's a powerful idea. Your story, your individual story, whatever your experiences are, wherever you come from, 
whatever race you are, whatever your hair texture, whatever your first language is, whatever your second language is, whatever hurts you've had, whatever joys you've had, your individual story is meant to intersect with this greater story of God's love for the world. And once your story intersects with that story, it joins the story of so many other people across the world who know his story, that story of love, that story of forgiveness, that story of redemption, that's my story too. So when I meet someone in Austin, Texas, and they're a follower of Jesus, and when I meet someone in Cameroon across the world, I look at them and say, you've met him as well. That's your story too. And they can look back at me and say, yeah, your father is my father. We're all connected by this beautiful good news of Jesus. But what does that look like? Does it mean that we're all to kind of become the same thing? Should uh, the individual from the continent of Africa, named Nigeria, right, for, for instance, be the same as the individual from, uh, you know, Paraguay? Let's just throw that out there. And then should that be the same as the individual from Texas or any of you? Well, not quite. You see, he, he sees us, Paul's trying to show us that we're connected, but we're also diverse, right? In, in the verse just prior to verse 4 at the end, I mean, uh, in verse 4 at the, the second part of verse 4, he says, all parts of the body don't have the same function. They don't have the same function. And so the reality is we're all connected and we're all together in this story, but we're not all the same. You see, it's necessary that we not all be the same, though, because in order for there to be a picture of God, you can't have all the pieces be the same. If everyone was just the same type of person, if we all had the same experience, the same thoughts, the same ideas, the same temperaments, then the picture of God would look like one person, but it's not supposed to. The picture of God is supposed to look like several people because God is, is all people's God. He's not one person's God, nor is he one race's God or one ethnicity's God or one culture's God. He's a God for the entire world. And the good news that he gives us in Jesus is good news for the entire world. And so, friends, as God's family, we weren't called all to be the same person. That wasn't what God called us to. Church culture, the way churches have been historically, especially in America, can at times tell us that we're all supposed to be the same. That's a lie. That's a lie. Often that's a lie told by people who mix the God of the Bible with the God of the person in the mirror because they end up seeing the person in the mirror and mix him with their idea of God. And they're probably right. There's some good in the culture that they have. It's, there's some good in the culture that we have, that others have, that people across the world have. But we get lost thinking that that must be the only good there is to have. Because it's not. People from across the world have different ways they see God and worship God. And, and at times they have different ways that they experience Jesus and the good news of Jesus. But the moment they confess, this Jesus is my God and Savior, we are brought into a family based on who Jesus is, not who we are, but who Jesus is that saves us. The goal, hear me, friend, was never to remake your personality into someone else's personality. In other words, look at me. You're not a mistake. Who you are is not a mistake. Your disposition and temperament is not a mistake. The way you process the world is not a mistake. The way you engage with the world and other people is not a mistake. Your gifts aren't a mistake. The goal was and is to see your life transformed to be more like Jesus' faithful commitment to his Father God and to use your gifts, uh, your actions, your life in whole uh, to, to expand God's kingdom and to faithfully serve God. But it was never to make you like anyone else besides Jesus. 
That's it. You were made the way you were made for a reason. And when God calls us into this family, he calls us to use our lives for the way they were actually meant to be used. To experience purpose in ways that we were supposed to experience purpose. Not in the ways the people and cultures and societies around us tell us we should derive purpose. We're diverse. We're different. We're connected through this good news, but we, we don't experience it or share it the same way. We're meant to be different. We bring diversity into our connectedness, but it's because of that diversity that we also have the opportunity to be dependent. Now, we are connected, we're diverse, but we're also dependent. That's the last point, right? At the end of verse 5, uh, Paul says that we're one body in Christ and members of one another. That each one of these members that make up this body of Christ are not just parts of Christ's body, but they're also members of one another. In other words, friends, you need the people in this room. You need the people in your life that follow Jesus, the people in your life that point you to God and help you see who he is and how much he loves you. You need those people. More than just the idea of community, because you don't, you need friends. I'm not saying you don't need friends, but if if all you have is friends and they point you to find purpose in life and anything under the sun, let me give you a hint. You will run your wheels in circles looking for life and purpose over and over again, but it's only the family of God that points to the source of life and says, return there. Go there. You need the people in this room. God meant for you to need the people in this room because God didn't make you to be alone. He didn't make you to be by yourself. He made you to need other people because to need him Because to need them, sorry, is to need him. To need each other is to need Jesus. Again, I said this earlier that we like to think that our relationship with Jesus is only personal. You talk to him, he talks to me, and we're, we're good and we're okay. But when Jesus describes his body, he doesn't describe you. When Jesus describes his body, he doesn't describe me. When Jesus describes his body, he doesn't describe Daniel Cooper, as handsome as Daniel is. He describes us. He describes a plural, multiple people. He's working in each person here, each person that follows him, each person that knows him. We're dependent on each other precisely because we're dependent on Jesus. That's the whole purpose, the whole idea. That's what this family should look like. People that know that story and therefore become connected by that story but grow in diversity because we're all meant to be different, but connected into that story. And, but gradually we find this dependency on each other to know who God is and to, to receive from God and to experience God. Now, with that, that's all we're going to talk about. But I do want to end with giving you some implications about what that might mean for your life. Because that's all good and dandy, but what does that mean? The first uh, I'm not sure I have this on here. I might have it back there, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Uh, it, you should sacrifice to spend, God, spend time with God's people. If engaging with God means engaging with his people and depending on Jesus looks like depending on each other, then spending God, time with God's people would become extraordinarily important to your life with God. And so if you have a church community, man, attend that, commit to it, be a part of it, 
Share in the life of it. Go to a small group. Go to a Bible study. Attend on Sunday. Ask someone if they want to go to lunch. Whatever it is that you do at your church home, do that. If you call Refuge Home, be plugged into the life of what we do here. Right? The second thing is this, though. If all this is true, the answers to your prayers may be in this room. The answers to your prayers may be in this room. Because we process that our relationship with God is almost singularly a personal one, Uh, instead of the communal one that we see in a text like this, we tend to think that if I have a need, I can pray to God and God will answer my need. When in reality, God may want to answer your prayer by the people that are in your life that point you to God. When God gives gifts and works in people and brings out wisdom from the people in here, he points us to himself through the relationships we have. And so your prayer requests may be prayer requests that are met by the people around you that know God and are part of his family with you. That also means that you... You, whoever you are, right, that you may be an answer to someone else's prayer request. You may be an answer to someone else's uh, need right now. That God may be working in you, in your experiences, in your um, attitude, in the way you read the Bible, and the way you know God in order to answer someone else's prayer in their moment of need. That may be what's happening in your life. And you are being given several different things, the blessings that you're given, whatever the case is, in order to bless and in order to engage with others, right? So you can be someone else's prayer request. And the last one is this, that the answer to several people's prayers then may not be here yet. Because the people that need to be here in order to bless others may not be here yet. Because again, the community of God isn't meant to just stay insular, but meant to go out to invite more people in. People that God also made, people that God knows, people that God created just the way he created them with the gifts that he created them and, and the way they see the world and, and the, the experiences they have and the, the passions they have and, and X, Y, and Z that don't know him yet but are meant to know him and therefore to share in the life of the church and to share in showing Jesus to the world and to share in blessing the body together, right? And so our job is not just to enjoy one another but to continue the work of inviting people to know this Jesus, to become connected, to grow in God and to grow into his image as they are as diverse people, and then to depend on one another so that we can continue to know God and to bless each other, right? This is the idea of of what it means to be the church community. This is the idea of what it means to follow Jesus, not just individually, not just in your life, because I'm telling you, because I love you. Even if I don't know you, I love you. If that's the goal in your life, I promise the end of it will seem, somehow seem to be lacking. Not because Jesus is lacking. He ain't lacking. But because he desires to work in your life through the people he puts around you. The only thing lacking in that situation is not God or even you. The thing lacking is how you engage with God's people so that he can show you who he wants you to know him to be. Okay, those are the implications. I'm done. I took more time than I was supposed to. We all knew that was going to happen, that call refuge home. Ain't a surprise to anybody who'd been here before. So what we're going to do right now is, having said that, uh, I, I want to encourage you. I want to pray for us. I want to encourage you. Again, if, if you call refuge home, uh, man, fill out a connection card. If you want to get plugged into a community group, plugged into some relationships, let us know. Uh, if you don't call refuge home, you're visiting, uh, but you're interested in, in what we're talking about here, let us know. Fill out one of the connection cards. You can put it in that box over there. You can also do it online. Uh, let us know. We'd love to engage with you. And if you don't call Refuge Home and you're finna drive back to, like, Pflugerville or South Canada, as I say, um, find you a church there. Find you a group of people that desire to point to you 
uh, to Jesus, the desire to tell you uh, where you can find life, especially in the moments when it feels like you're spinning your wheels because life can't be found. Find that and entrench yourself in it. And I promise the work that happens from there will be a beautiful and powerful work that'll change your life. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the gift of life that you've given uh, those that call you Father. And so, Father, um, thank you for the family that you've created through those connections, the reality that when we place our, our lives in your hands, we, we connect to the greater story of the gospel, yet uh, you, you make us diverse and beautiful uh, because you desire to create a, a dependency and a picture of you for the rest of the world that is inviting and it's relatable because you are not a God of a single community, but of the world. And so thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for the good news of who you are. Father, bless us as we continue to walk that out and help us when we're struggling to walk that out. We love you. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 